Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the Feast of Pentecost as we pick up in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. The descent of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, was foreshadowed by the Feast of Pentecost, which was really the ingathering of the first fruits unto the Lord, which on the day of Pentecost, the first of the multitude who were to be saved through the preaching of the gospel and through the ministry of the church were brought in. Some 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. That was the first fruits. Now, Jesus knew that his church would never be perfect or pure. And he gave parables that indicated this, and God knew it in the Old Testament. That's why the loaves were to have leaven in them. Because leaven is always a symbol of of sin, actually. So in this offering, which was a foreshadowing of the church, there was leaven in it, and Don't let anybody tell you that the church history is pure. It isn't. It's horrible. And that's one reason why I'm glad I I am not really related to any human organized effort called a church because I don't have to answer for the corrupt history of the church. And believe me, its history is corrupt. I blush when I read of some of the things that the popes have done in the past. If they made movies out of them, they would be (laughs) worse than Hollywood has come out with yet. The history of the church is not pure. God knew that there would be a corrupting influence in the church. Jesus gave parables of the kingdom of heaven, and people have misinterpreted these parables, completely twisting them around. For instance, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a woman hiding a bit of leaven in the meal and, and, and in the loaf, you know, making her dough, putting a bit of leaven in it until the whole loaf is leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that is very small, and yet it grew up into a great tree, and the birds of the air came and nested in it, and people found shelter in the shade underneath. And so there were those theologians that interpreted those parables as as being wonderful. The church was the leaven in the loaf which was the world, and the church is going to gradually bring its good influence until the whole world is going to be converted. The church was the mustard seed planted in the world, growing up into a great tree that everything can find shelter underneath. It was going to just cover the earth and shelter all men, and they would all be benefited by the shade. But wherever you find birds in the Scripture, you find them in an evil sense. 
and where birds were lodging in its branches. And unfortunately, there have been a lot of birds lodging in the branches of the church. Now, the Lord knew that the church's history wasn't going to be pure, wasn't going to be ideal, and thus, even in the pre-shadowing of the church in the Old Testament, God had them make loaves. Now, now it isn't just the sheaves of wheat, but now it's baked in a loaf, uh, which is a cohesive kind of a unit. But yet, it has the leaven within it as it's offered to God. And so, the feast of Pentecost. And then God gave a special little rule in verse 22, which I find very fascinating. When you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when you reap, neither shall you gather any gleaning of your harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger, for I am Jehovah your God. So the welfare program in the state of Israel was a very interesting welfare program. It wasn't a giveaway. If you were poor, what you could always do is go and gather from the corners of the fields, for the people in the harvesting of their fields weren't to harvest the corners. Also, they weren't to go back through the second time for gleaning purposes. When they went through and picked the, the apricots or the peaches or whatever, once through, that was it. Whatever was left, whatever wasn't ripe in the first picking, had to be left on the tree for the poor people to come in and gather. And so the gleaners who would go in and gather after the harvesters, and thus it was a welfare program for the poor people in the land and the strangers. And I feel a very excellent welfare program. It was a provision that God had put right in the law that they, they weren't to glean their fields. They were to leave that for the poor in the land. Now we continue with the feast in verse 23, or verse 24, in the seventh month, the first day of the month, there shall be a memorial of the blowing of the trumpets of a holy convocation. You weren't to do any work in that day. Again, it was just a holiday, the first day of the seventh month, because it marked actually the most holy month of the calendar, the blowing of the trumpets. And then on the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the day that the priest was to go in and make an offering before the Lord for the sins of the people. And then also in the seventh month they were to have the Feast of Tabernacles. Now in verse 32, God is talking about this Yom Kippur. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest. Ye shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at even. And from even unto even ye shall celebrate your Sabbath. And that is why the Jews celebrate the, and, and count days not from midnight. They count days from 
sundown to sundown. And so they celebrate their Sabbaths from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And then Saturday night's a big sort of a celebration. They all take to the streets. They have street dances and, and just, you know, everybody's cruising on their feet, all walking up and down the streets. In fact, it's, it's so crowded that you just have a hard time. It takes you almost an hour to walk a block. You're just, you know, moving with, with the people, but it's just uh, everybody's out on Saturday night because the Sabbath is now over. But this is where they get it. They were to celebrate from even to even. They were to start on the evening of the ninth day, and they were to celebrate through the evening of the tenth day. And so their day began at sundown and begins at sundown. Now the Feast of Tabernacles was to take place on the fifteenth day of the seventh month. The tenth day was to be Yom Kippur, the first day, the blowing of trumpets. You're announcing this is the holy month being the seventh month. And on the first day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, there was to be a holy convocation, not to do any work. And on the eighth day, a holy convocation. So the, the Feast of Tabernacles went for eight days. The, whatever day the Sabbath fell in was in that period, but also there were two extra Sabbaths, the first day of the Feast and the last day of the feast were always Sabbath days and considered as a Sabbath where there was no work to be done and to be observed just as any Sabbath day is observed. Now, at this Feast of Tabernacles, this was a feast which was a memorial to remind them of how God preserved their fathers through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. So during this feast, in the latter portion of the chapter, they were to build little booths and they were to move out of the house and live in these booths for the eight days of this feast. After you've come in the land, you've built houses and so forth, then you're to build these little booths beside your house and you're to move into these booths and live in them for the eight days just to remind yourself of the hardships you're ancestors went through when they were coming out of Egypt and as coming into this land that God had promised unto them. And so it was going back to rugged living for one week out of the year. I imagine the kids really had a great time with that. I don't suppose the parents appreciated it too much, but uh, it was probably quite an exciting adventure, just like kids like to sleep out in tents and all. And so they would make these booths and move out on, during this particular feast. Now, the beginning of chapter 24, God commands them to bring in olive oil that they might keep the lamps burning continually in the tabernacle. And then God explains the showbread. He gives the formula by which it should be made and how it should be laid out in two rows of six upon the golden table there in the tabernacle and how it was to be changed once a week and the bread that was then being removed was to be eaten only by the priest. It was a holy bread because it had stood there before the Lord, each loaf representing one of the tribes of Israel. Then after the week of sitting there on the table, uh, it was to be eaten 
by the priest. Now, a situation arose in verse 10 where there was an Israelitish woman who had an Egyptian husband, and her son was in a fight. And while he was in this fight, he blasphemed the holy name of Jehovah in cursing this fellow. Several people heard him, and they reported it to Moses, and so he was arrested and he was put in jail until they could get the mind of the Lord on what should be done concerning him. Now, this to me is interesting. Here's a situation that has arisen. What shall we do? And so they put him in, in the jail until they could determine what God wanted to be done. And so they waited upon God that God would direct what should be done concerning this man who had blasphemed the name of Jehovah. They put him in the ward, which is the jail, that the mind of the Lord might be showed unto them. I like that, waiting upon God. You know, I think one of the um, facets of the early church that made it so successful is that they were actually so yielded to the direction of the Holy Spirit. They looked to the Holy Spirit for guidance in all things. I think that one of the great weaknesses of the church today is that we think that we know everything. After all, we've been to seminary, we've been educated, and we have, you know, developed, uh, we've taken our best minds to develop all of these church programs, and surely we can work it out now in committees. And uh, after all, if you've got efficient committees, why do you need the Holy Spirit? And, and we really don't look to the Holy Spirit anymore for real guidance and direction. So often we move impulsively. But the early church was governed and guided by the Holy Spirit. So Paul said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And we read that the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the ministry wherein I've called them. And we see how the Holy Spirit was directing the activities of the early church. And I believe that that is one of the keys to the success of the early church. And I think when we come to the place where we confess, God, I don't know how. I don't have the answers. Lord, we need your help. And we start seeking again the guidance of the Holy Spirit to direct the functions and the activities of the church. We're going to see again the power of God working in his church. I love it that they would wait to get the mind of the Lord. Oh, what is the mind of the Lord in this situation? I'm convinced that God is desiring to reach each community with His love, with the message of salvation. And not only is He desiring to reach each community, I'm convinced that God has a plan to reach each community. And I think in going into a community, the most important thing is to get the mind of the Lord. What is God's plan to reach this community? And I think that we make a mistake when we try to develop a plan that would be a national plan. Because each community has its own individual little characteristics. 
But yet I believe that God has a plan to reach each community, and what we need is to be open to the plan of God, to get into harmony with what God is wanting to do, because that's all God is looking for, people who are in harmony with what He is desiring to do. For the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the entire earth to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards Him. Looking for people whose hearts are in tune with what he is wanting in order that he might invest in them his power to reach out into that community. And so I am really not behind the national programs of evangelism as such or worldwide programs, uh, thinking that we have one program that's going to be adaptable for the whole world. I think that we need to seek the mind of the Lord in each community, in each area. We notice that Paul didn't follow a pattern in going into new communities. He went in and sort of felt the thing out. He got the feel of it before he began his ministries. Some of them he went into the synagogue. Some of them he just started talking to people on the street. Getting the mind of Christ, so vital. So they got the mind of the Lord. The Lord said, those that heard the guy swear, take him out of the camp, let them put their hands upon his head, and then let people stone him to death. He's blasphemed the name of Jehovah. And then God went on to say, if any man kills any man, verse 17, he shall surely be put to death. If you kill another man's beast, you're to make it good, beast for beast. If you cause a blemish in your neighbor, as he hath done, so shall it be done to him, breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him. He that kills a beast, he shall restore it. He that kills a man, he shall be put to death. And you shall have one law that is operating, whether the person be a stranger or one of your own countrymen. In other words, there was, there, there was not to be any kind of favoritism showed in, in the justice system, one law for all. I think that that's the greatest weakness of our present judicial system today, is that there isn't one law for all. It all depends on which judge you're standing before, and it all depends on what kind of a mood he's in. Whether you get a six-month suspended sentence or five years at hard labor. The judge has just had a big fight with his wife and is angry and upset. Man, he's liable to really lay it on you. And if it's getting close to Christmas time, he might be in a jovial mood and say, oh, well, all right, you know. Suspended. That isn't real justice, and that's the problem with our whole judicial system. If you're very wealthy and can afford the great attorneys and all, then you can, you know, get off. It's not fair. It's not right. I do not believe in our system of justice today. I, I, I think that there's much lacking in our whole judicial processes. They need much improvement. Now, it is interesting when the law says breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, etc. 
that Jesus said, Now ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, so forth. But I say unto you, the law of Christ, of love, forgiveness, the better part is that of love and forgiving. God help us. But because we are not all able to come up to the standard of Jesus Christ, there are limitations that have been placed. And it should never be more than a breach for a breach, never more than an eye for an eye, never more than a tooth for a tooth. You knocked out my tooth? Let me give you a tooth sandwich, brother. <laughs> you know, you don't want to just hit one. You want to get it you know, the mouthful of you can. Just, we, we, we want to take revenge over and beyond. And so the limitations were put, but even better than that is the forgiving love. Oh, well, what difference does it make? God help us to come to the standard of Jesus Christ. return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Leviticus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Leviticus 23 through 24 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord bless you and be with you and keep you in his love through the grace of Jesus Christ as we look forward to that glorious day of the Lord when he comes for us that we might be with him. God bless you. And may the strength of the Lord be your portion in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. It's with great honor that the Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's book entitled Prayer, Our Glorious Privilege. With great clarity, Pastor Chuck masterfully taught the principles of praying to God our Father and emphasized the power that belongs to each one of us when we rely on the Holy Spirit to guide and nurture our prayer lives. I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, 
prayer, our glorious privilege, and study it to put these biblical principles into practice. Read this book and come to the most amazing realization that prayer is the most potent weapon in your spiritual arsenal, and use it with great promise and hope. For when you begin a life of prayer, you begin a great adventure. To order a copy of this book in print or to download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.